Bruce, welcome. Episode 124, Podcast Pearl Droid. My name is Russell. The episode you're about to listen to was recorded a few weeks ago uh, after the Estonia game, hence the reference to that having only recently happened, but put out a little bit out of sequence with some of the other recent episodes. Episodes 121, in which we got the lowdown from Huddersfield Town fans' point of view of Sorba Thomas. We reviewed in episode 122 the games against the Czech Republic and Estonia. And most recently, episode 123, the footballers in the Welsh Sports Hall of Fame with Rob Cole. We're not going to mention Estonia. Is Estonia in the book? We're not going to mention Estonia game anyway, at the very least. Nothing against Estonians. It's, it's Russell and a very special guest. Uh, it's Tim Hartley. Welcome back to the podcast, Tim. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. It was 72 episodes and four and a half years ago. That we did one here. Daniel Mohid, as they say, we're still here. Yeah, yeah. Um, goal, come read the charity, obviously. And uh, but we're talking about a book this time, a new book that you've got out. It's on pitch publishing. Let's give it a quick and early plug. The world at your feet, in search of the soul of football. At Breton has probably a few people after the the news a few months ago around the European Super League and problems with visas getting out to Russia for some of our players. They'd like to know if, if there is even a soul of football to be found anymore. But um, there is anyone who's lived in a cave this last couple of years and they don't know about you. What, uh, what do they need to know? Well, I guess uh, what I'd like them to know about this book particularly is that, uh, you know, football is just a, a way of meeting people, making friends. And why I say it's, uh, you know, my travels around the world is called The World at Your Feet because I really think it is through football. Um, in this book, we go to Germany uh, and watch a fourth division game. Why do I do that? Well, it's to discuss what unification meant for German football, and East German football in particular. A quick answer, not a lot. I go to Brazil for the World Cup. The Euros, obviously, with Wales. I go into what, what it actually means to be a Welsh fan and, and what that experience, Wales away, means. Is it something more than just, you know, shouting for 90 minutes uh, and, and seeing Wales do well. I go to Hong Kong as well, which is really interesting. You might say, well, Hong Kong aren't exactly the giants of world football. No, and that's the point, isn't it? On the terraces of Hong Kong football, they turned their back on the Chinese anthem. And because of that, President Xi Jinping brought in a law saying, if you do that again, if you disgrace China on the world stage and in television, we will send you to prison for three years. Now, this was a few years ago. Mm. But you're looking back now on what has happened in Hong Kong. And football, if you like, allowed me to go down to the, I call it the not-so-happy valley. You know, they've got this ground in yeah, the middle of a race yeah. course. Fascinating place. With these massive high-rives out, uh, outside of it. And just to talk about politics as well as a little bit mm. of football there. Because those people that say that sport and politics shouldn't mix, usually the sort of people that are using sport for political means, aren't they? Because they're inherently, it's inherently political sport. I think there's something rather um, rather hypocritical about the footballing authorities, mm. um, and this is a recurring theme in my life, to be honest with you. <laughs> Politics and football cannot mix, and yet everybody's taking the knee, which I agree with, by the way. UEFA say, you know, we've got this uh, respect agenda, and yet Bulgarian and Hungarian supporters, and some English, and I've no doubt some Welsh as well, are allowed to chant racist chants. Mm. Do something about it. Mm -hmm. Gareth Bale, our hero, you know, he goes up in our estimation, doesn't he, every game he plays. And he was he who said, no, if my players are, are, are abused and they say, I can't take it, Gareth, I as captain would march them off the pitch. Mm. Isn't that great? Yeah. But why should he be saying that? Absolutely. Why isn't UEFA saying it? Why isn't FIFA saying it? So this business, of, you know, politics should be kept out of football. It's impossible. It's yeah. impossible. Yeah. 
So the power and the resonance in 1968 of John Carlos and Tommy Smith doing the Black Power salute, well, it's still resonant. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Um, the story of Peter Norman, the Australian who came second, they came first and third. His story about supporting, we've chatted about this not so long ago, actually, about not just acquiescing, if you like, to, to what they wanted to do. He was the only person who knew they were going to do that. He actively encouraged them. He wore a brooch or a badge of some description that was sort of supporting them uh, or in solidarity of them and was, was victimised when he returned to Australia, both in terms of his personal life, but also professionally in the sense of his, his athletics career. So the state is quite happy to use sport for political means, but the minute a, 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 an athlete does, or a footballer, then it's, uh, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, we've talked about sports diplomacy. I know the British Council and the Welsh Government are big into this, because mm. small countries can actually make a lot of capital out of their sport. But uh, again, this, this, this word hypocrisy, you know, You've got to invest in it. Just because Wales do well at the Euros and, you know, the First Minister and the Cabinet members can go and watch the women's game now down at Newport against England. Great, support mm. us. Those girls, those women, those men do not come from nowhere. We need resources and facilities. Mm, mm, mm. Get the councils, give them the money to drain the pitches so they don't have an unwanted winter break every year. Don't price us out of mm, our matches mm, on mm. Pac Trillai or up in Bellevue in, in Wrexham. You know, let the kids of Pendring Corps have a practice pitch there. Don't just take the glory. Yeah. Get stuck in there. Yeah. Support these communities. Don't just pay lip service to it. So, you know, I'm quite old now, Russell, but I'm still <laughs> angry, which is great. And the allocation of resources at this very uh, low, mundane, almost quality... Well, it's not mundane, is it? It's important if you're rocking up on a, a Saturday morning or a, or, or a Sunday morning and the pitch is a, is a, is a, is a state. But the, the day-to-day decisions that go around and behind allocation of resources and which budget has to be cut to accommodate this and to pay for that much is inherently political, political. isn't it? And, that's, and I suppose that's a, a key sort of recurring message. So, give a flick. You mentioned Hong Kong. Um, you, you go to Africa in the book. Obviously, you've mentioned Brazil as well. You've been to North Korea. I mean, people are probably familiar with that book um, that you, you published. Kicking off in North Korea. It was a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, about five years ago. Um, are there common strands? When you see in quite diverse cultures, quite diverse um, languages and, and, and cultures and everything else, are there some recurring themes, nevertheless, when you're in that football environment? Yeah, I think it is that football is an international language. Um, I mean, by pure chance, in a bar on the way to our last game in the middle of nowhere uh, in Libreville, which is the capital of Gabon in the African Cup of Nations, I met a guy called Michael Stoffel. Now, you'll never... Well, I hope you may have heard of Michael Stoffel. We got talking to him. He, too, is a ground hopper. You know, one of these people who goes from place to place watching grounds. And he, this year, has published a book in German called The World in 90 Minutes, I'd like to read it because I can't speak German because yeah. I think it's very similar to yeah, my own book. Yeah, yeah. The point is that in the middle of nowhere, I'm talking to a German in the African Cup of Nations about our shared love of football. Mm-hmm. We went to Manaus for the World Cup, my son and I, and we could only stay in a favela because they'd up the prices there. Um, and there's a guy in a string vest sitting in his shack of a bar, uh, smoking a cigarette and looking vacant there. I'd say the guy was in his kind of late 60s. Um, so we smiled at him, he kind of nodded, and we said, oh, we're from Wales. And I tried to speak a bit of Spanish, even though we speak Portuguese there. You know how you do, you put your hands on the wall like a map, you say England, Scotland, Wales, yeah. absolutely nothing. I said, Gareth Bale, absolutely nothing. I thought, oh gosh, maybe I've upset the man there. 
Anyhow, we try to finish our beers. As we're about to leave, the guy stands up and he just looks at me and at my Welsh shirt and he goes, John Charles. And that, even if you like a non-verbal communication, I suppose, was just showing that football, because of the height of the pyramid of football, the breadth of the base of it, we've got something in common. Yeah. Some guy, some random guy in a favela in Manaus in Brazil and I have something in common yeah. about Welsh football. Yeah. And you take that on then, uh, on the terraces in Germany, I get talking to this guy um, who produced a, a, a purple um, a, a disc. It was a, a, a Ramones a copy, a, a version of a Ramones song for his club, uh, Tennis Berlin. They called cult clubs in Germany. FK St. Pauli would be the biggest example of them, where they managed to marry culture and football, music, the punk traditions, mm. doing it for mm. yourself. And I just got talking to him about his club, as I say, in the fourth division. Doesn't matter. Uh, we're just making this connection. Yes, you could do it through taking, you know, your um, four-part choir uh, to Germany. Yeah. Yes, you could do it playing rugby in France. But football is truly international. Mm -hmm. More mm -hmm. members of FIFA than the United Nations organisation, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You've just got this connection wherever you go. Yeah. Uh, and it's a blessing, it really is, as well as a passport to different cultures. People will indulge you. They listen to my stupid stories uh, about my little country wills. Yeah. They'll be interested in Cardiff City, who they may have heard about. Yeah. And then when we get down to it, I'll say, but actually, I prefer watching, you know, Pendring Koch or Cardiff Met or something. They won't get that bit, but we're, we're talking nonetheless. I went back through the, uh, through the, through the annals to remind myself which episode was the Gold Camera one. It was episode 49. And um, the, the way the, the website's constructed, it tells me the episode before, the episode after. And the episode after was with John Ewing on the... The day actually of the, uh, I think it already had its London premiere, but the Welsh premieres for of Don't Take Me Home, and of course this thing around diplomacy and some of the things you've just said was encapsulated in in that phrase that was heard so much in that film, also in the uh, Well Gore, which is the the film that um, Nick Stradlin produced well as well about the Euros. It put Wales on the map. It put this li this little country. That's during that summer. This this little country of ours, it's kind of rocky, craggy, bit on the on the on the west coast of Europe with rubbish weather was was on the map. And, and had that had that global focus. That is that is important. It is. Yeah. And Professor Laura McAllister, who was a former Wales captain, uh, you must remember, as well as being a very eminent academic, has written very well about this. And, and I do reference her. And in, in my Welsh language book, Mercy Cymru, um, we do talk about this in great depth. And she's written a chapter there because she says what that victory in France, what qualifying for the Euros in 2016 should have meant for Wales uh, and its government, was a boost of self-confidence. Mm. We can do things, we can do things differently. And this isn't the soft diplomacy of, you know, oh right, these guys are nice and they play football and it's interesting. No, it's firmer than that. It's saying, no, because we can do that, we can do other yeah, things. things. Yeah. We can, uh, which is a lovely Welsh expression, we can cut our own path. We can do things, we can go out in the world. We're not looking over our shoulder, mm -hmm. or we shouldn't be any more uh, a big brother England mm -hmm. or the great British mm -hmm. state, mm -hmm. and saying, will they allow this? Yeah. Can we do this? No, we should be confident. We should be self-confident in moving forward. Now, I think our politicians are behind us. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what Napoleon says. I follow my soldiers. That's why I'm their leader. Mm -hmm. You can work that both ways. But I'm not sure that the politicians have actually grasped this business that 
people like us, and maybe I'm living in a fool's paradise here, do believe in our own ability and that if they were a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more confident, I would then say, yes, go for it. Try a bit more. Let's do it differently because we have got the ability and we're proving it, you know, we are proving it. Yeah, and it's this its this sense, isn't it, that, that we, we did this in episode uh, 81 with Dan Evans, who, he's taken a bit of a sabbatical off, off, off Twitter now, otherwise I'd give him a Twitter plug. Um, he wrote in Planet a couple of years ago around how travelling away, uh, away fans, uh, Wales away fans, are ambassadors for their travelling, and he called it a statelet. Because it, it, it offers a lot of the same uh, motifs in terms of sort of uniforms and, and bucket hats and very much self-organised. And again, it's not asking for permission to do this. It's creating these cultural things. By his own admission, sometimes it can be drunken and a little bit debauched on occasions. But nevertheless, it's that sense that well, we're going to take responsibility for that as well. Self-police it. And we, we heard, for example, through the Expo Royal Gorg, from the experiences of, of Penny Miles, or the research of Penny Miles, more accurately, the experience of some women... We, this still needs to be a lot of work to make following Wales, both home and away, ever more inclusive. But nevertheless, I don't think we're, we're saying this is this is perfect. There's lots of things to celebrate, but it's not perfect. But this sense that people go away, they come back, and then they think, actually, we could maybe look and do things better in Wales, whether that's transport, whether that's you know how cities are organised, and, 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 and things like that. Policing is another one. To what extent do you... Do you see those things or you, do you undertake sort of similar things when you're traveling to these far-flung places? Gabon, Brazil, North Korea, and you come back and you think, actually, why can't we do something similar? Why can't we do something better in Wales? I think it is this business of self-confidence once again. Mm. And if you look at, uh, as you, you mentioned there, the motifs, the culture, the way they do things, the, the cult clubs in Germany, I'd like to spend more time there. Because what you had, and I think St. Pauli is an interesting case here, because the ground is in um, near the Reeperbahn, which was the red light district. It's near the docks, it's working class. And what you had there because of cheap properties was young, perhaps arty people mm. moving in. So they created that punk culture. We're doing it for ourselves. Yeah, we'll yeah. print our own T-shirts. We'll make our own slogans and posters. And I think that's what Wales is doing. What mm. we need to do is to translate that into proper community action. Now, that might be that you want to save your football club or you want to build a ground. You want to take the ground which the council, quite frankly, they should, but they won't look after and say, we're taking this into mm. community ownership. So I think those are the examples of, of, if you like, the more developed places. And you have to say Western Europe is doing quite well there. And, you know, you look at the um, um, ownership model of German football, keep banging away about this, you know, this 50% plus one of the shares so that it is in the community. Uh, in other places, then, you just hope that the community relevance takes it a step further. Very lucky, tiny little place, Cape Verde, by pure chance went to see two playoff matches there, six islands, and we saw the playoff for one island, which takes it to the National League. Right. We may think <laughs> the standard yeah. wasn't very good. Yeah. It doesn't matter, does yeah. it? Yeah. It's yeah. their Premier League, it's their country in the African Cup of Nations qualifiers. Mm -hmm. And just to see what it meant to Mr Nando, the club president there, and people around him. So you get this at the highest and the lowest levels. I think it's that self-help, which is what I'm taking away from it, mm. as well as the rather self-indulgent getting to talk to people about stuff you wouldn't otherwise get yeah, to talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You know, once you say, oh, um, hello, Mr. Nando, and you get your picture taken with him, you say, um, who's your best player then? It's a nice way in. That's yeah, really easy yeah, one, isn't it? Yeah. You say, um, 
and um, how many people do you get here and how are things developing? And then you get invited into the clubhouse afterwards, you know? And it's just making friends like mm-hmm. that. Brazil, amazing experience there, taken by the family we were staying with in Manaus uh, to watch a Brazil game on television. Coming out there, very poor neighbourhood, wouldn't let us buy them a drink. Yeah. People had nothing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you just get that using football then as bringing people together. It may be just as simple as that. It doesn't have to manifest itself in bricks and mortar, community associations and ownership. It's bringing people yeah. together, yeah. giving them something they can shout about together. It can be less formal then, isn't it, than those structures and, yes. and then random of arts and all that kind of stuff. And but there's that, a time and a place for it, but it can be informal as well. And I think that's where you and I come from, you particularly with your background in community work and development. Is Does does the, the, the Welsh national game then feed back into feeling good about football at a grassroots level? We've increased the numbers of players. Mm. We've increased the numbers of clubs. The women's game, the girls' game is growing, not exponentially, but well in accordance with the targets of the Welsh Football Trust. How do we translate that in into engagement, increasing the number of volunteers, so that the football club mm. becomes a community club? And on the back of things, that works. Now, it could be, you know, I think Export Walgoch was very good with the help of the FAW Trust then, looking at, for example, how one football club was working really hard on men's mental health, which has been forgotten. What did they do during the pandemic? The other then saying, this football club is helping lonely individuals during the pandemic. So the the club then, right, they're not playing football, Mm -hmm. but they're doing stuff in the community. Yeah, incredibly powerful. And each of those clubs... Um, and there were clubs to road as well from Pembrokeshire, Ammonford and RTB Abervale, wasn't it? And each of those clubs have come out of the, the pandemic with more players and potentially more teams than, than when they went in. On the surface of it, the, the, the lack of football, notwithstanding there was a little window between the two major lockdowns, fire breaks and all the rest of it, very little football played in a, in a 12, 15 month period. On the surface of it, one might expect that players would drift away, maybe some officials, parents helping out, etc., etc. The the backbone of these clubs, the volunteers, but they come up with more. And I think that's fascinating because they're doing stuff, like you've illustrated there, that, that address community needs. Football then is something else that we can offer as well. But there's a core thing around being part of and belonging to um, a, a, a community. I think you'd have to be long-sighted and perhaps a little cynical if you were to say, this football club is going to do good deeds in the community in order to get people back in. Um, and I honestly doubt that any of these clubs you mentioned, mm. or any clubs, do it that way. The point is they realise, and this is where the professional game, I think, doesn't, um, is that we're doing this because this is what football in the community is all about. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong, my club, Cardiff City, you've got a fantastic foundation which does great work in the community, but it's focused on those educational grants that they get to do it. Yeah. The players then, at Christmas, will do their charity work. Are these clubs doing it week in, week out? I'm not so sure they are. Mm. Should they be doing it? Yes, they should, really. Um, And what I don't get is that they don't get that this is a win-win. You know, if they were to be cynical about it, they'd say, by engaging with, take my city again, Cardiff, you know, those um, black uh, and Asian communities, which border the two highest mixed wards in Cardiff, border the Cardiff City Mm. Stadium, Mm. get those people in. 
They're on your doorstep. They'll then buy your shirts. Yeah. They'll buy your hot dogs, you know. Well, they won't actually buy hot dogs, probably. But you know what yeah, I yeah, mean. Yeah. They'll buy the burgers and come in. And, you know, you will create the feel-good factor and you'll fill those empty seats. Yeah. And become ambassadors for the club. Hopefully, in the, in yeah. The, of course. Host communities, yeah, yeah. So... You were at the Euros, you sort of crisscrossed, it was like a like sort of script from a Jason Bourne film, wasn't it? Um, different airports, train, rail, plane. Obviously some fans weren't able to get to the game, particularly in Amsterdam, for example, if they were flying directly from, from Wales, if I remember it correctly. Um, but yeah, you managed to get to all games. Bit of an adventure. It was an incredible adventure and I thought nothing would beat France 2016 and nothing will actually beat that first being there. We are here, yeah. uh, Bordeaux, day, night Absolutely. experience. However, great, it was my sixth visit to Baku and I thought, oh God, more of the same and there's going to be no one there. It was absolutely stunning, the welcome we got, probably because we were so few. Mm. In terms of the logistics, people said it can't be done. Well, it could. I mean, I, I feel sorry for those people who didn't have the time or the resources, but if you planned it mm. and you read the regulations, you could do it. So after those two games in Baku, and uh, what a joy that Turkey game was. Yeah, you know, I can imagine. The feeling that, yeah, do you know, we're going to get out of the group. And again, this is Wales on the world map mm. for once. Mm. So, um, and outnumbered in the stands as well. Yes, very much so. Margin. Because uh, yeah. I think um, Erdogan, President Erdogan was there too. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, no trouble and nice to meet Turkish fans Swiss fans fantastic as well great yeah. support from the Swiss so you had to get from there to Rome for the match against Italy in the Olympic Stadium and of course this was the mistake people meant oh we'll go from Baku to Rome well you couldn't do that because mm. you're coming from I think it was a red or an amber country I was very lucky my son lives in Belgrade so we took a flight to Doha Doha to Athens Athens to Belgrade got a test in the airport drove from Belgrade, showed the uh, certificate at the Croatian border, and Croatia, Slovenia and Italy are all in the Schengen group, which means you can drive through them. We didn't show our passports. Right. Train down to Rome, sent my son home with a car after the match. We then went, lovely couple of days in Rome. You can go from Rome to Holland again because you're in the EU. I didn't even show my passport for that final match right. in Amsterdam. So it could be done. And as, as I say, you know, I feel sorry for the people mm, who didn't mm. make it there. And I was lucky that I had the time and the yeah, resources yeah, to do yeah. it. But what an experience. And, and, you know, it was wrong that the UEFA decided to have it all over the place. Yeah. No thought whatsoever for us, the fans. The travelling we'd had to do, the arrangements we'd have to make. Having said that, I had a fantastic European tour and I enjoyed every minute yeah, of it. Yeah, Carbon footprint of that tournament probably went through the roof as well. Right, okay, yeah, uh, this is something, you know, I, th this is what I do for a living, yeah. Russell, so that's my get-out clause yeah. that I do write about these things and broadcast about it. Uh, yeah, I do have qualms, yeah. but uh, don't we all? Absolutely, there's an interesting case over in the Republic of Ireland. Bohemians have got uh, a climate change officer uh, uh, you know, a member of the club. I think they might be fan-owned. I'll have to double-check Bohemians Club in Dublin. But they are, I think, Europe's first club to appoint somebody to focus exclusively on what is the climate footprint of the club's activities. Playing, travelling, commercial, the outreach stuff, the community stuff, all of that. And I think it's worth people keeping half an eye on because I think that's probably something that a lot of clubs... In 10 years' time, which may well be too late, who knows, 
but that won't be the one exception. Yeah, the Bows are an interesting club. I went there to their ground, which was crumbling, literally. Yeah. Uh, the night before Wales were playing, I think it was called then, um, the, the Nations Cup, not, not the Nations League as we play now. Oh, right, but yes, this was just yes, Ireland, yes. Northern Ireland, yeah. um, Scotland That's and Wales. Right. Um, and it was fantastic experience there because it was a really gritty uh, ground, uh, real people. Um, there was a terrace there. And it's not far. You can walk it from the city centre. Mm, They've got mm, a new mm, chief executive. Mm. They've redeveloped the ground. And if you get a chance, do watch the programme. I think it was RTE about the community work of the Bows. Mm. Absolutely stunning. They have children in there to do art workshops. They're working on mental health. They've engaged the community in not just football, but other games. Yeah. And what we were talking about earlier is this business of seeing that football club. There is a stadium there. There are spaces there. There are people who want to be associated with it. And there it is. Yeah, Use yeah. it. And we do have this in Wales. I mean, I've been up to, and you've been up to uh, Merthyr Town. The work they do there, yeah. walking football for the yeah, over 50s. Yeah. They had, if you remember, they had they just finished uh, uh, an older woman's uh, Pilates or yoga right, class yeah, there. Yeah. The stuff they do with mental health. Um, I think they even had, you know, cricket uh, on on that 4G pitch. So we've got examples of these mm. in Wales, but we need to push it. And that's, if you like, going back to the politics of this, is where local authorities and uh, national government in the shape of the Welsh government need to put their money where their mouth is, mm. make these all-weather pitches available, give grants for the facilities, and if we're on grass, drain it properly. Uh, hats off to the uh, FAW, um, who, you know, through their Grant Improvement Committee, uh, have actually made the facilities in Wales, you know, really fantastic to go and watch it. Mm. People say, oh, why do we need, you know, 150 seats under a stand? When it rains in Wales, you're grateful for it, you know. <laughs> and who yeah. knows where your club might go. And and the app, I think, seems to, the new app, the Cymru app, has, has, has seemed to have capture people's imagination it has clearly has a practical use but seems to just provide that that focus and i i don't know i quite like the 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 scanning through the papers to try to find the results but but that's one thing if you can't find the fixtures in the first place it's difficult to get to some of these games sometimes i guess that easiness around accessibility of the devices and there's a carbon footprint of those as well mind of course but the the sense that people um uh, you know, in their groups, in the fan groupings, in their sort of social circles as well, can plan. And it does seem to be, maybe it's a post-pandemic bounce, I don't know, or whether it's just that echo chamber of football fans in Wales listening to one another, but there does seem to be an appetite slightly increased to go and just spend more time in the domestic game. Well, I, I was amazed the week um, that domestic football in Wales came back, Cardiff Draconians, which is just yeah. half a mile from my house, had 139 people there. Now, I don't even know which league the Drax play in, yeah. but it's great to see this bounce back. Last weekend, I was up in Carnarvon, some 900 people for a Welsh mm-hmm. Premier game. Fantastic support, you know. You say an echo chamber, and we say that in a dismissive sense. If you look at what's happening in Welsh football now, and if it is an echo chamber, the echoes are carrying on yeah, and on, aren't yeah, they? Definitely. It's not just your fantastic podcast, but there's Alternative Wales. You've got these other the women's game in FE Wales, you know, while mm-hmm. Gorham You've got Twitter feeds and websites and the stuff which the FEW sponsor as well. Mm. We're creating a buzz which is going on and on, you know? And if it is an echo chamber, you'd expect those echo resonances, if you like, to die out. 
I'd like to think it's growing bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's, I think there's something, I think something there. I was at Flint uh, against Aberystwyth a couple of weeks ago. Um, really impressive crowd. I don't know what the official figure was, but I'd say there was probably at least five, six hundred people there. Um, weather was glorious. Banks of the D, cracky little ground. Been to the castle several times, seen the ground, never gone in the ground. Finally got to go in the ground, and um, got chatting. So Ryan from uh, Shag uh, Fanzine. And uh, got chatting to one of the stewards, um, who says he he because he's a, a volunteer, uh, so like was a was part of the club's bubble then official bubble. But when they were able to play games, um, but with no fans, he travelled with the club and he went to see all these far flung grounds. He said usually I wouldn't get a chance to, and 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 he was saying I can't wait to get back down to Barry, yeah, yeah. which he called the coldest ground in Wales, which I. I'm not, I'm, not sure about that. No, I'm not sure about that. Do you know what's great? You put your finger on there. What um, Welsh domestic football uh, from the Premiership down offers you is that intimacy. You get yeah, to talk to people. Absolutely. In Carnarvon there, you know, it was absolutely fantastic. I get to speak to Gwyn Derveld. Now, Gwyn is the chief exec of the Premier League. Mm. I'm chatting to him yeah, yeah, on the side yeah, of the pitch. Yeah, and I go for a drink with him in the Tuttle. We went down to Pendring Coch the next day. And, and, and there I'm, I'm talking um, to Richie Jenkins, who's a vice president who set the club up 55 years ago. I'm just talking to these guys. Mm, mm, we go mm. on to Aberystwyth there. Lovely chat with Diane Cranant, who's the announcer, who comes down to talk to yeah, us after yeah, the game. Yeah. You get really into the clubhouse. You get to understand these communities, even if it is for 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And what I'd like to think is people like me who watch Cardiff, when we're away from home and I can't be bothered with a bus, which I should be, of course, you know, that we go uh, to a Welsh league ground. And I thoroughly enjoy it. And it gives you, if you like, both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. the, you, you can relate to the championship, in my case, or Premier League football. But actually, you get as good a time and more interesting often mm, mm, down mm, the Welsh mm, Premier mm, alone. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to give the book another plug? Yeah, this book is called The World at Your Feet in Search of the Soul of Football. It comes out from Pitch Publishing. If you want to get a copy of it, just go online, The World at Your Feet, and all those things will come up. Waterstones, WH Smith, you know, Goodreads, whatever. You'll find it. Yeah. Uh, available as an ebook as well, I think. It is indeed. Yeah. In, in fact, Russ, I've had a very interesting conversation with a guy called Sergei from St. Petersburg, who'd read it in two weeks and said, I can only get it in e-version right. and took exception to my criticism of St. Petersburg fans. Okay. But what, again, this business right. about being a global phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I also had some grief from Ukrainian fans who said I'd call them racist. Actually, if they'd read the book, not the blurb, they'd see that it was Bulgarian fans in Ukraine Great. who were racist. Yeah, yeah. So this reach of football and with a digital footprint you can have, great to see the world at your feet, well, it should be at your fingertips, shouldn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, best luck with the book. It deserves to, to succeed. It's obviously available as well in a couple of sort of more localised places yeah. as well, isn't it? I know Cabin and Cardiff are stocking yeah. it. Um, I think Insole Court are going to take a few copies yeah. of it, hopefully. So if you can support the local outlets as well, um, not uh, disparaging the other bigger ones and the online ones, but um, uh, the independent sector is is vitally important as well. What's next for you? It was, sort of, it was the Covies in Penryn on, on the weekend. Oh, yeah, we've got to look. We There's a fantastic ground. I don't know whether you know this road. I think it's the A470, is it? No, not that one. From Machenlleth to Dolgellen, you go through a place called Corris. Oh, yeah. Going yeah. up, if you look down to your right, there's a most beautiful 
uh, pitch and that's Corris Football Club. And we went up and said, oh, it doesn't look gorgeous. I think someone was actually marking the pitch. Okay. And you've got this steep, steep bank of pines down by the river, right on the bottom of the valley. And as we came down, we said, right, that is our next That's ground. Next one, That'll be our next ground hop, I'm hoping. Okay. Well, I'm best, hoping. Of luck, best of luck with that one. I'm going to have to get down the tracks then. Um, yeah. Doing a lot in Gabalva, working really, really hard. They've had some problems with vandalism this year a couple of times. Um, but... They keep chipping away, and if someone's going to knock the, the chairs out and smash them up, they're just going to keep replacing them until they get bored of destroying things, which I think perhaps is sometimes the only way you can do it with vandalism. So, uh, so best luck to them. Best luck to all of the clubs that have been mentioned and all of the fans groups we've gone for. Where have we gone? So we've gone, we've gone Happy Valley, San Pauli, <laughs> Carnarvon, Penrincourt, Manaus. We haven't thought about um, our visit to HMP. Her Majesty's Prison Press Guide, which was fascinating. And actually, watch this space. I'm not going to say anything because I'm not at liberty to, but there is potentially a really exciting football-related project taking place there. I'll tell you about it off mic, Tim. But, um, I'm not going to say anything now. Uh, hopefully, Jay, a friend of the podcast, Jamie Grundy, will be doing something more with that team. That prison is sort of coming out of the lockdown. I mean, how you manage a pandemic in a, in a prison environment is a bit different. How you were in the general open society and so they they bolted everything down but they've kind of emerged from that successfully won their appeal to play in the Gwent League again if you remember that was back sort of was that before the pandemic wasn't it and uh, although they have to forfeit every away game so yeah. the away game always gets listed as a 3-0 defeat even if but the fixture gets played at Prescoid um, so even if the result is a you know six one drubbing for for the for the prison team, it still gets listed as a as a three nil the home fixture at Prescott. The point stands. is that those men coming towards the end of their sentences are playing football, rebuilding their lives, learning communication Absolutely. and self restraint and that, and it, it's fantastic. Absolutely. And that happens irrespective of what the official result that goes in the in the in the in the fixture list in the scorebook as it were happens so that's really important but yeah something really interesting taking place so yeah so yeah get out and um get out and check a a, a local game um if your team are away or they're playing on a sunday on tv um get out there i think um you you, you will have some of the conversations that you've that you've sort of had in uh, around the world with this and so best luck with the the book and um uh, until the next time, quick plug for some of the earlier episodes. Uh, Rich and I got together in episode 120 to, what did he say? He described as owning the game, owning the result, which I think, to be fair, Rob and the guys are probably doing as well. Uh, again, the disappointing result against Estonia, that's episode 120. Uh, 118, skipping one, is our review of the transfer window as well, and a few thoughts around the likes of Dan James and Harry Wilson and like as well. Uh, coming up on the blog, we have Wales 11 by Spencer Vignus, who wrote the Lee Richmond Roos biography, which is a fascinating book. He joined the Expo Ral Gork as well on Wrexham Day to do a little bit of an introduction into Roos. Um, he selected Brighton, Wales 11. So his favourite, uh, he's a Brighton fan, that's where he was raised, but family from Cardiff. Uh, and he selected a, a, an 11 of Welsh players, his favourite Welsh players at Brighton. And that's, that's an interesting read. A couple of players I had no idea played for Brighton. Giants of the game. So if you want to put uh, your own sort of uh, club... 11 together, just drop it. Have a take a look at some of the examples of, of others. Fancy doing a Cardiff one? Wealth of people to choose from. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, maybe um, got to argue then between is it John Charles or is it Rob Earnshaw up front or is it Nathan Blake? Can we have two for each position? Do you want to stick Ruben Colwell in? Maybe. Jason Kumas on this day. Oof, crikey, there's a call. There you go. Uh, there's an open invitation there. But if you want to put your club in, we've had Cheltenham, we've had Ipswich. Jamie uh, did a Preston one. 
Uh, who else have we had? Uh, we've had an Aston Villa one. We've had a Banger one. So it's not just clubs in the, in the English uh, system as well. So yeah, take a look at those and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. La, 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 la.